We are the Riverside chapter of the Messengers of Recovery. We have chapters in Southern California and Arizona. We're a bunch of guys that either rode with the devil or chased him. We're the kind of guys that if you saw us in a crowd, you would think that if he can get sober, then so can I. We decided to throw our chip into the hat and talk about our recovery in the hopes that you can learn from this podcast that you don't have to use or drink even if you want to. We are not A-A-N-A-C-A-S-A and no one is from the damn D-A. Once a week, we hope to bring you the message of recovery from speakers, panels, interviews, and sometimes just a meeting. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to our webpage, www.riversidechaptermor.com. There you can listen to the podcast, ask questions or comments in our forum section, browse our support recovery t-shirts, or just find out a little bit more about us. That's www.riversidechaptermor.com. This week's speaker is Katrina. Hi, my name is Katrina, and I'm an alcoholic. Katrina. I'm very grateful to be here. I have a sobriety date of April 4th, 2019, and for that, I'm truly grateful. I'm going to share a little bit about experience, strength, and hope. Growing up, my childhood was actually very normal. I grew up in a house where my parents both work. I went to a private school until I was uh, 13 years old. When I was younger, going to a Catholic school, I always felt a little different. I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. Um, I remember when I had my first Holy Communion, we got to drink wine. I remember it being really exciting for me and I felt like I was uh, you know, doing something bad because I knew that wine would get you feeling different because um, my parents used to drink at parties and I would see how they would laugh and dance and have a good time and I liked it. I think the first time I ever smoked a cigarette, I was nine years old, and uh, my grandpa used to smoke in his, you know, smoking den, and I snuck in there, and I remember I was in my uniform, and my grandma was cooking dinner, and my grandpa had went to the store, so I snuck into his uh, den, and I took out a cigarette, and I smoked a cigarette, and I coughed, and I thought it was disgusting, and I, you know, put it up and never told anybody. You know, I grew up, my parents put me in a lot of extracurricular activities, so I was in cheerleading and dance and synchronized swimming, and my schedule was very busy. I was always doing something. I, My parents had me competing growing up, so I always felt like I had to accomplish things. What I didn't realize is that my parents knew that my mind was just so busy all the time. I always had a bit of a anger issue, a lot of insecurities. So keeping me busy and putting me in a group helped contain my emotions. And by the time I got home, I was so tired that I would just do my homework, take a shower and go to sleep. And I'd wake up and go to school and and do it all over again. And I literally had that life until I was 16 years old. So I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to eighth grade. In seventh grade, my cousin went to a public school and me and my cousin were very close and she started dating these bad boys, these cholos. She started smoking weed and here I am, this like good girl, Catholic school girl, and I wanted to be like my cousin. So I would beg to go out with her and mispractice and my parents like sometimes would let me, but most of the time wouldn't. But the one time they did let me go out, they were all smoking weed and I wanted to try it because I wanted to be cool like my cousin and all the cholos that um, she was hanging out with. And I remember it making me feel very anxious and not like myself. And I didn't like it. I didn't like the way it made me feel. 
So after that, I never tried a drug or a drink again. I just continued to compete in sports um, that I was in and travel around with my teams and compete. And it was just a very, I had a very busy, busy life. And my life is still very busy today. I always held this resentment towards my family because instead of putting me in a private high school, they put me in a private public school. So I go to this pri- or this public school and I, it was like the biggest culture shock to me ever. I had no idea what was going on in the world. There were girls that were like having sex and there was like the druggie tree where everybody was doing a bunch of drugs and you know here I am and I wanted my mom to walk me into school because um, I just was not used to that lifestyle. So I get into school and make friends and the girls that you know made friends with me you know, smoked weed and smoked cigarettes, but um, I still didn't do that kind of stuff because I just didn't want to. And my goals in life were competing. And I always wanted to be good at everything I did. I worked really hard um, doing that and I succeeded. But one of my first addictions was men, um, definitely. Um, At the age of 14, I met my first boyfriend. He was older than me and um, in public school, and I latched on to him and, um, you know, lost my virginity, and he became my first addiction. You know, he was a normal guy. He didn't do drugs. He played sports, so it was, you know, a normal life and stuff like that. At the age of 17, I got my first job. And I, uh, it was, I was a lifeguard at Soak City. I remember everybody going out for parties after, and that was not something I grew up doing. You know, at 17 years old, I really didn't go to parties because I was always competing. So I was like, well, I want to go to parties, you know. So I ended up going to parties. I started drinking. And the craziest thing is that I remember going there and being so nervous walking in, just filled with anxiety. And then they start handing me drinks, and next thing you know it, I am like a different person. Um, I had no worries in the world, and I just felt I just felt invincible. All my anxiety went away. You know, I. I kept drinking and but then I would stop and I would I would be productive in my life. My senior year, I met a guy. He had kind of preyed on me during school. Next thing you know it, he's, you know, courting me and wanting me to date him and I did and he was from that tree, the the druggie tree. I thought that that was like the cool thing to do so I talked to him and next thing you know it I'm smoking weed all the time and um, I'm drinking I'm smoking cigarettes I completely changed who I was overnight it was like my alter ego came out it was it was kind of scary when I look back on it now seeing like what kind of person I turned into at 17 years old because it It literally changed my whole life for the rest of my life. In doing that, I went from being a excelling in sports and school to a girl that was ditching, ditching school, driving drunk, almost failing classes. I had dropped every activity that I was in, you know, and I just wanted to to have the validation from my boyfriend at the time that, you know, I wanted the love and the respect and the attention from him, and that seemed to do it if I did what he did. You know, that relationship became very abusive because, you know, when you're, when you're loaded, you're not yourself, and um, you, just, you just end up dealing with anything, and you feel like you deserve it. That relationship ended pretty badly. Towards the end of the relationship, I ended up... Uh, being so depressed and so um, out of my mind on drugs and alcohol and pills that I took, I think it was like 30 sleeping pills. 
And after I took these pills, I was sitting in my parents' um, living room and I was looking at my family picture. And I remember just feeling so guilty at um, what my life had become, you know, after all my accomplishments. So I ended up calling my mom and my mom um, sent my aunts over. And I woke up literally to um, being in a hospital bed with tubes um, down my throat and then pumping my stomach of all the um, pills that I had taken. I remember my parents' eyes crying, you know, not understanding what, like, who their daughter was because they were looking at a daughter that wasn't her anymore. They were looking at a daughter that was loaded and, and, had lost herself in drugs and alcohol and abuse and versus the daughter that was successful. And it's crazy how fast that happened. That literally, my life changed in six months. You know, from there, I uh, landed up in 5150, ended up calling my boyfriend at the time, breaking up the relationship. I stopped every psychiatric drug I ever did and I just smoked pot. I thought that was the answer to just smoke weed. That was it for me. Um, so I went on this uh, year of smoking weed. I got a job um, down by the beach. I started going to school, started building my life again on my own, trying to become the person that I knew I could be. You know, smoking weed eventually led into me um, selling weed. I started selling weed. I got popped for mushrooms. I just started, you know, living the lifestyle, but not losing everything yet. Because, um, you know, weed is, weed, in my opinion, is a gateway. It is. It leads me to other things after a certain amount of time. So um, I ended up uh, going to school smoking weed. I was like that stoner in class. I couldn't concentrate, couldn't focus. I did half-ass at everything. And in reality, that's not me. I don't do half-assed. I, I, I'm zero to a hundred. Okay. So weed makes me half-assed. And, um, if I'm half, half-assed, I'm not successful. And that, I don't like that, you know, for myself. So I end up, uh, going to school, dropping out of school because I got offered a job selling cars. Well, you know, I like money. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to quit school and I'm going to sell cars. It was just like the stupidest thing to do. So anyways, that lifestyle was not very good for me. Um, I ended up uh, 19 years old or 18 years old working in a car dealership. Um, with a bunch of men that were uh, snorting coke, drinking, and that became my lifestyle. You know, I, I wanted to fit in with those men. I had to stand on the line as an 18-year-old girl that weighed, you know, 95, 100 pounds, and, like, I had to prove myself. So if I need a drink to make myself the person that I feel like, you know, I can't do it without liquid courage. Um, I will. So, you know, I did. And, um, you know, it worked. It worked for a little bit um, until, uh, you know, I just, uh, my mom ended up uh, passing away when I was 19. I ended up quitting um, working at the dealership because I couldn't handle the stress and I feel like with my mom passing away, which she was just like my best friend, um, that my addiction really, really um, started um, manifesting inside of me. Because um, I started drinking more. I showed up to my mom's funeral and, um, you know, I was 19. I was, I couldn't eat because I was just so depressed. I was super skinny. I was so drunk, so drunk, so loaded, you know, I, I couldn't even speak at her um, service. And um, one of my grandma's friends walked up to me and she's like, honey, you need to eat some food. And I literally told her to go fuck herself because I was like, lady, like, you're, you just, you're such a bitch. <laughs> 
So anyways, that's, you know, but she was right. I needed to eat. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was, I was drinking Crown Royal like it was water. I was smoking weed and I was, I was snorting Coke, you know, that's how I was like keeping myself going, you know, and here my mom dies. And instead of like being there for my younger brother and my dad, I'm selfish and self-centered and I think all about myself and I'm just loaded, you know, I couldn't comfort anybody. You know, I end up uh, getting busted again, and I got busted. Like I said earlier, I used to sell um, weed and mushrooms. Well, I got busted this one time, and it was three months after my mom passed away. I got put in jail, and I was facing uh, felony drug sales because the mushrooms were hallucinogens. And, you know, how do I go from this person that was like, super successful growing up you know and all these sports and everything in school to this girl that's getting arrested for drug sales at 19 you know and that's addiction right there um so i end up going to jail not for too long i get bailed out the night before and and mind you when my mom died like i didn't believe in any god whatsoever I was like, fuck you, how dare you do this? My mom was the most beautiful soul in the world and you fucking take her. And I literally, I started getting tattoos of like anarchy and like all these like satanic things. I'm like, I do not believe in God. Um, you you're, you don't exist. And um, I was just very angry. And uh, so I get arrested, I get bailed out. And the day before, or the night before my um, court case trial, I had a dream. And in the dream, I had walked through a door and I walk into the room and my mom was standing there and she looked about 30 years old. And she had a white outfit on and she had her arms open and I try and go up to like give her a hug and she's she's like honey you can't touch me here you know you can't give me a hug here but I just want to let you know everything's gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay and I'm like what you know it was just like and it was so vivid it felt like she was like really there and I kept trying to hug her and I couldn't hug her so Next morning, I go into court, into the Westminster um, court. I'm from Orange County, so I go, you know, to the Westminster courthouse, and um, I go in, and I see my public defender, and I'm so nervous, and I go by myself. I didn't tell my dad. I didn't tell anybody, you know, that I was facing felony, and um, I walk in, and I walk up to the public defender, and I'm like, I'm like, hi, I'm Katrina Bravo, and, and uh He's like, well, I have good news and bad news. And I was like, well, give me the bad news. And he's like, well, the bad news is, and he said something. I was like, well, that's not that fucking bad. Like, well, what's the good news? And he's like, the mushrooms were fake. Your felonies dismissed. And I was like, holy shit. You know what I mean? I'm like, what? He's like, they tested them. They're fake. Your, your case is dismissed, right? And, like, right there and then, I was like, oh, my God. Like, there is a God. Like, there's something out there. Like, my mom told me that everything was going to be okay, and everything was okay, you know? So I got that spirituality back, which I lost. Then I was like, oh, my life's good. I can keep drinking, you know? Like, that didn't phase me at all. I was just like, I just better be careful now, you know? And so I just kept, you know, doing my thing and I got a job selling bathing suits in Huntington and I met my first baby daddy, my first husband. And um, I met him while I was driving down the street, smoking a bowl in my car. We ended up smoking a bowl together after we talked to each other through the window. Long story short, we had a kid. We never parted until nine years later. So. You know, I thought having a kid, that that would help me. And it did for nine months. And then have have my baby boy, and the next thing you know it, you know, daddy comes home from work, and it's mommy's time, right? And I would start drinking. I'd start drinking wine and smoking weed. And then it got to the point where I started going out, 
you know, in the nights. And, you know, I drank to, I drank to escape, you know, escape the way I felt. I don't know if it's, I was like, I didn't like myself, you know, or maybe just to like ease my mind because my mind was going, 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 going. My first DUI I got, I was uh, 24. My dad was watching my son and my husband at the time was up north trimming weed. That was my life. And um, I was out in Huntington and I, uh, I drank really hard and really fast. I wanted to um, disappear. So I typically have like a double Jack and Coke and started with that. When I got to the bar, um, I came in with anxiety and I left blacked out. That was my thing, that was my goal. I feel like I drank to like be a different person. So anyways, driving home, I remember I was like almost to my dad's house and I remember swerving, but I was like keeping like the 10 and two and I was good and you know, I like I didn't give a shit about anybody. As long as I got home, was able to lay my head on the pillow, like I was good. And this was like about 24 years old. I almost home and I, I feel like I got to puke because at this point in my drinking, I'm still new in my drinking, so I'm still puking because it got to a point where I didn't puke anymore. You know, I was just blacked out. So I pull over, I throw up in the parking lot. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I can keep going. And I get back in the truck. You know, you think I would stop, right? Like, don't get back in the car. You're fucking puking. You're shit faced. Nope. I didn't care. So I get back in the car or in my truck and I get on the road and I almost hit a cop. He lit me up real fast, real fast. I was like, fuck. So anyways, um, I remember doing the whole sobriety check and he asked me how many drinks I had. I said I had two beers and I don't even drink beer. Yeah, I, I totally lied. I blew a 0.21 because I, like I said, I like to drink hard and I like to drink fast. Anyways, in the morning, my dad picked me up from jail with my, um, with my son, you know, did the walk of shame. You know, it's the, what the funny thing is, is that my family was so enabling with me because they bail me out. They pay for all my stuff. You know, they coddle me, say, oh, honey, you know, you shouldn't be drinking hard alcohol. You should just drink wine. Like, no, no, you can't drink anything because I can't drink like a normal human being. So anyways, um, you know, my life went into, I'm doing DUI classes. I'm introduced to AA in 2007. And I went to all those, those, you know, things sober. I did while I had to do it. But once I signed that court card over, you know, I started, uh, I was like, I don't need this. I never went into the program listening with my ears open. Once that was over, I ended up getting a job at a bar. I became a cocktail server. And like I say, I like to make money. So I would work six nights a week. My husband at the time was, you know, not a very motivated man and he was okay with the minimum. So he could stay home with the kid and I was out working six nights a week, working at a bar drinking, snorting lines, back into that whole lifestyle of the workforce, and I'm just right in it, and I loved it. I loved every second of it. I would get off of work, and I would drink after work. You know, I would party till three, four in the morning, and that was my life. That was my life for 11 years. I was in the bar industry. You know, I I'm the type of drinker where I go to a party in a pretty white dress with flowers and I land up, you know, not knowing where my boyfriend is because he got into a fight with me and I'm crawling up a, a hill trying to get out of a cul-de-sac, you know, with no shoes at the end, with with mud all over myself and the cops waiting for me when I'm at the top of the hill and I'm just shit face drunk. So fast forward to probably age 30, I started getting into really 
hard drugs in the um, the uh, bar industry. I became kind of that middle person where you know people would come in and they knew I was the person that could find them dope, and um, and I would get a cut out of it if I would do it. So I didn't give a fuck, and um, I. Uh, would set people up, and next thing you know it, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, snorting dope in the bathroom, coming out, working, and I'm working blacked out drunk, and just, you know, remaining steady, because I'm, I'm loaded. I end up uh, meeting my new, my new husband at the time, and he seemed to have his life all together, good job. Um, made great money, a normal kind of guy, computer IT dude. I'm like, you know what? This is gonna get me out of myself. I'm not gonna be, you know, drinking all the time, party all the time. I won't have to bartend as much. I don't have to live this lifestyle. I can have like the white picket fence. And that was not what happened. Um, <laughs> I think it was like, it was exciting to um, like play the game, you know, for him to think that I was normal, but I really wasn't. I was always that like alter ego. The first night we spent together, I was so blacked out drunk that when I woke up in the morning, I didn't know who he was, right? That's how fucked up I was. And um, I, I used to have these knives in my side dresser next to my bed. So I see this guy by my front of my room and I'm like, who the fuck is this, you know? And so I pulled out a knife and I ran up on him with a knife and he's like, whoa, whoa, like, what are you doing? I'm like, what the fuck are you doing in my house, you know? And he's like, I'm Shane, like, I took you home last night. I'm like, you know, that's how blacked out I was. And, um, you know, poor guy, he ended up staying with me. And um, I asked him, um, <laughs> I asked him, I said, what were you thinking? He's like, well, you were exciting. And I'm like, I bet I was, bro, you know. Anyways, uh, we ended up having two children. And those, well, back, back pedal. Okay, so... We were together. He uh, let me drive his truck. I was uh, driving his truck home from going to have sushi and sake and going to meet my girlfriends. And um, I ended up falling asleep at the wheel, rolling his truck by myself. I was the only one in, in it. I rolled his truck across the 91 freeway and I landed up on the 15 freeway. And um, this was at 9 o'clock at night, like on a Wednesday. By the grace of God, I didn't hit anybody. I didn't even have a scratch, not even a bruise. I didn't have a bruise on me. Um, I wasn't even wearing a seatbelt from what the reports say. Somebody apparently pulled me out of the truck. I woke up in a hospital from them doing tests on me to see if I had any internal bleeding. They asked me if I was pregnant. I said I could be. I don't know. Like, I didn't know what I did. I was always drunk. I lived my life blacked out. That's how I lived my life. I was a functioning alcoholic because I did a lot of blow. So two days later, after getting out of the hospital, I ended up, um, I believe, miscarrying because I bled a lot. And um, so I believe I lost a baby in that accident. Um, but um, nothing happened to me except uh, I had refused while I was in the hospital to take a test so um, to see if I was drunk. So I ended up losing my license for two years, which I believe God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. He took my license. I, I didn't even have a restricted license. Um, in those two years, I ended up getting pregnant with two babies, right? Isn't that crazy? Two beautiful, beautiful souls. You know, I thought that Pat would cure me having kids, cure me from the desire to drink and to use. 
but it didn't. And what's sad to say, I wish I could say that I did not drink in, my, in those two pregnancies, but my addiction and alcoholism was so far along by that point, I had to have a glass of wine every single night. And I, I made excuses that it's good for my blood flow. Like, <laughs> it's not, you know, like you shouldn't be drinking, you know. So anyways, um, after my, my last child, my little girl, oh, mind you, I, I didn't put in, you know, I was still bartending while I was pregnant. So I bartended till I was 37 weeks pregnant. Like I was waddling around serving drinks my poor regulars are like we feel so bad for you working so hard i'm like well i still like money and i'm going to make it and i would be sneaking red wine in coffee cups so nobody would know that i was still drinking you know and i'm still in this lifestyle right but i'm like i quit smoking cigarettes i quit drinking hard alcohol and i quit snorting wine so i am doing very well for myself like i was proud of myself Thank you. Fast forward um, after my second daughter, which I bartended with, I would go back to work after six weeks of giving birth. So I would go back and I would be pumping my milk in the bathroom and then going back to work. And like that was my life. And then coming home and taking care of, you know, I had a one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old, and then I had a newborn, right? my life became very overwhelming and i have a 17 year old right well he was like 15 at the time so here i am katrina so katrina in her adulthood tries to be the best she can be at drinking and using you know katrina in her youth wanted to be the best at you know sports school and stuff like that so it's like complete 180 so I end up getting really bad um, in my drinking. I think it has a lot to do with my postpartum as well. Um, I was very depressed. Um, I was drinking all the time. I was, um, before I would go to work, um, this is a year before I stopped. Um, I would go to work, I would pick up six shot bottles. I worked the day shift and um, pick up six shot bottles. I would take three of them at 10.30 in the morning because I was waking up with the shakes. I couldn't stop shaking. I stopped breastfeeding because I, I wanted to drink. Like, this, this breastfeeding is like taking away from my drinking schedule, and my party schedule. So here I am, I'm, you know, I'm drinking. I have about six shots in me by 10.30 a.m. Throughout the day of my shifts, I'd be drinking drinking, drinking. I'd get off of work. I'd have a, a double vodka cranberry and two shots of fireball. And that's how I would end my day. And um, some nights I wouldn't come home and some nights I would come home. And towards the end, my husband at the time, the, you know, cookie cutter dude, he was fed up with me. You know, he was fed up of me being the person I was and he called me a monster when I was drunk because I would get angry and he started locking me out of the house and you know I would start sleeping in my car and you know one night he locked me out and um, it was like 2 30 in the morning and instead of coming home after work I would always go out and drink after like my family was not my priority the alcohol and the drugs and the party and the lifestyle was my priority. I was selfish and self-centered and dishonest. I would lie all the time. And I got so pissed off um, that he locked me out that I was standing outside of our front door that I kicked the window in and ended up almost severing my leg. I almost bled out. They had to turnkey my leg. And you know what? I didn't feel a thing because I was so fucked up. It was sad. But I still kept drinking, still kept doing what I did. And, you know, towards the end, I would wake up and um, I'd be in my walk-in walk -in closet. And I just felt so empty and lost inside. I was in a really dark, dark place in my disease. I would wake up in my walk-in closet 
um, with a bottle next to me, empty always, because God forbid I leave anything left in there. I would have a like a belt and a rope next to me. You know, I I would black out contemplating killing myself, you know, because I just didn't want to live anymore. Like, I was tired. I was so tired at the end. Like, I could not... I could not figure out how to stop drinking. I would drive and I would tell myself not pull, like before I get in the car, today's gonna be different. You're not gonna pull into that liquor store. You're not gonna call that friend to come visit you at the bar to bring you a sack. You're not gonna do any of those things. And right before I would like go to work, I would pull into that liquor store. And I would do the same insane fucking thing every single time. I would pick up six shot bottles and I would start. And it's like I knew. And it was like I would self-sabotage myself all the time. It, it, was never, it was never different. It never, what is it? It gets, uh, never gets worse or it gets worse, never better, right? And that's, that's what happened. And um, it got worse and worse and worse until the end I was convulsing at night because I would pass out and I didn't have the alcohol running in my system. My legs were starting to seize up. I couldn't feel my legs. My husband at the time was so fed up with me um, that he would leave to his mom's with the kids and leave me by myself just to like run amok and do whatever the fuck I wanted, you know? Whether she lives or dies, like she's gonna do what she wants, you know? And I held a lot of resentment towards him because of that, but you know, I, I understand now. Now I understand why he did that. He was protecting himself and he was protecting our two babies, you know? Um, but I drank over that. I drank over it all the time, you know? Woe is me. You know, it's funny, like, I put myself in this this shit, yet I was the one that caused it. Only me to blame. You know, it was my choice to pick up. It was my choice to give my life to alcohol and drugs. So, but I didn't, I didn't love myself enough to understand that I did have a choice. So my choice was to hopefully drink enough so I wouldn't wake up in the morning, you know, or drive my car and maybe I would crash. I mean, one time I almost did die, but for some reason God didn't want to take me. So I, I, I couldn't live and I couldn't die. It's like, I didn't even know how to live anymore. Um, so my husband thought he would, I think he really was trying to kill me, but I don't know. Um, he want, he planned a trip for us to go to Vegas for three nights. Like how crazy is that? I'm, hardcore alcoholic like why are we going to Vegas like what am I going to productively do there so we end up going on this trip to Vegas first night we get into a fight he leaves me to go back to the room and I'm stranded in Vegas I have no idea where I'm at I'm blacked out drunk find myself back going to finally found where the room was and um, go up to the room we get into a fight I try and grab his phone um I got his phone. He couldn't get it back, so he ended up taking me by my forearms and throwing me into a bathtub. I ended up waking up in this bathtub, soaking wet with him trying to pull me out of the bathtub, right? I ended up suffering a concussion, cervical sprain, contusion from him throwing me in this bathtub that I later found out. Um, we ended up coming back to home and... I tell him that um, I'm going to quit my job bartending, that I'm going to go on disability. I can't do this life anymore. And he says, well, if you quit that job, you better find something that makes just as much money. You know, at this point, he was total dick to me, you know, but I deserved it. Like, I was not a good wife. I wasn't. Alcohol and drugs was my husband. It was my husband, it was my kids, it was my family, it was everything to me. Like I would, I didn't give a shit about anybody, anything, I just wanted to be loaded. I didn't want to fill. So he ends up leaving me because, leaving to his mom's and I go to work and I remember showing up to work and I swear this was like 
like I couldn't even I worked at this place bartended here for 11 years and I walk up and I see my manager and I look at him I said I can't do this anymore and he's like what's the matter with you and I'm like I can't like I just can't do it and he's like what's the matter and I'm just shaking uncontrollably because I'm DTing like I was so bad and my neck was all fucked up from being thrown in the bathtub he's like all right well let me find find somebody to cover for you so I had to wait there for an hour and I walk into the bar and all my regulars are like Katrina you're here and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna die right now you know I'm just looking at all these people that I like would suck money out of you know and drink with and party with and it was just such a grimy grimy job that I had made into a grimy job so I end up um I apparently from what I hear because I don't remember at this point I left the bar I went to the liquor store I bought a bottle of tequila I bought a bunch of shot bottles I was like my thing airplane bottles I would drink them and then throw them out the window so nobody could see how much I drank I guess my best friend was trying to get a hold of me and she couldn't get a hold of me and she called my dad that was in the desert and this is God here. My dad was in a desert. You have no reception. And my dad heard his phone ringing, right? And it hadn't ringed the whole time he was out riding dirt bikes. And it rings. And he says he picked up, and it was my best friend. And she's like, I can't get a hold of Katrina. I don't know. I, I can't get a hold of her. She told me she told me this whole story, and I'm worried about her. He's like, well, go drive by the house. So she drives by the house, and sure enough, my car's there. And my car's the only one that's there because my husband had left. And he's like, well, is she there? And she's like, I don't know. She's not answering the door. So for an hour, they're trying to get me. And he's like, well, break into the fucking house. So she broke into the house. And here I am laid out on a bed with a bottle of tequila in my hand. And I had tried to kill myself. You know, she found me. I remember her putting me over my... Well, I remember them like yelling at me like, bitch, get up. And I couldn't move. You know, I couldn't move. And mind you, I live in a beautiful house. I have three beautiful children, right? I'm not broke. I have money in my account. I have everything that I could possibly have. But here I am laying on a bed, almost dead. Probably, yeah, almost dead. So she puts me over her shoulders with another one of our friends. She takes me out to her house. They try and nurse me as much as they could back to health, and apparently my dad was on his way back from the desert. My, uh, my dad showed up. He couldn't believe how bad I was. He took me to the hospital for the injuries I sustained in Las Vegas. And that's when I found out I had all these neck in injuries. And then here I am, D-teen, and my dad won't give me anything to drink, right? He wouldn't give me anything. Because he didn't understand. My dad's normal, you know. And I'm like, Dad, I need something to drink. Like, I'm going to have a seizure. I'm going to die. That's how much I used to drink. And um, he's like, you can't. Like, you got to be done. You can't live like this anymore. I'm like, Dad, you don't understand. And so he finally gave in and bought me these three little shot bottles. I'm like, this is not enough, you know. And um, so then he saw me convulsing. And he ended up going online and finding a rehab. I had never known anything about rehabs, you know, ever. I went to this rehab, got checked in, and um, I had called my husband to let him know that I was going to get help. He's like, good, good, I'm so happy, like, you need it, you're killing yourself, you're killing yourself, like, my kids need you, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, I'll call you when I can. He's like, okay. And so I get there, and they... They put you to sleep a little bit. They give you stuff so you can detox safely. And I wake up the next day and I give him a call and he doesn't pick up. I call him again. He doesn't pick up. I call again. He doesn't pick up. I call my dad. I'm like, Dad, Shane's not picking up. Like, have you talked to him? He's like, no, I can't get a hold of him. I was like, well, are they at home? He's like, no, they're not at home. They weren't. They weren't home. Nobody knew where they were. So then I'm like losing my shit. I'm like, where are my kids? Where are my babies? They were one and two at the time. I'm like, where are my babies? So he didn't pick up. He didn't pick up. He wouldn't pick up for my dad. 
in in treatment i started uh getting on my knees and praying to god and ask god to do his will i asked god to do his will for me um, because i didn't know what the fuck was going on i don't know why i'm coming here to get helped to get my life better and all of a sudden you're taking away my fucking kids right you're taking away my kids now I keep praying, I keep praying, and I said, you know what, whatever it is, whatever you see for me, because I was learning in, in the rehab, which I now work for, um, I learned in this rehab that, um, like, you, you just give your will over. Like, it's your fault. Like, it's your will that's making you drink and use. You need, you need to find something greater than yourself, right? So I started praying to that. I didn't even know what the fuck that was. So three weeks later into treatment, I get a, they get a call from my husband and he's like, hey, I, uh, I filed for divorce. I filed a domestic violence restraining order on her for disturbing my peace. I took custody of the kids. She's not allowed to come home. She's not allowed to see her kids. If she wants to see her kids, she's gonna have to fight in court. So I lost my babies. I couldn't go home. I went into treatment thinking that it was gonna solve all my problems by getting rid of the drink and the drugs. But in reality, I ended up losing everything, everything. At first, I didn't understand why God would do that. But at, through working the program, um, I realized God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Um, it took six months for me to fight in court, but those six months, I worked on myself. I got into the rooms and my, my ears were open, right? I started retaining everything that people were saying and my story was being said by all these people, all these women and men that were laughing and smiling and their lives got better, right? And I wanted that. I was like, I'm going to do this and I I I put I put my focus on my recovery like I used to put into every drunk and drug I ever had. You know, there was no turning back. I don't fail at things. I achieve at things, you know? And I was at my rock bottom. You know, and by the grace of God, He's given me my life back. I worked real hard. I, I work a solid fucking program. I went to meetings. I got a sponsor. I surround myself in recovery. I work in recovery now. I help others. Um, after six months of um, sobriety and fighting in court, I got joint custody of my children. Um, he can't tell me anything because the judge said, Sir, she is not a threat to her children and she has proven that she is doing everything she needs to to fight the disease of addiction and alcoholism and that's what i learned i learned that i have a disease and the disease is a mental disease it's a disease of the mind and the allergy of the body that when i would think about alcohol or using I would obsess on it and then once I put that drug or that drink to my lips and I drank it I couldn't stop I could not stop once I once I understood that it was a disease it made it easier for me to treat so in treating it that's going to meetings it's getting a sponsor it's uh, working the steps. In the steps, I've learned that the things that I resent and that I hate, I play a part in every single thing. So those abusive relationships that I've been in, you know what? I shouldn't have been in the fucking things, right? If I didn't like working in a bar because it was a bad environment, well, you know what? I should have got out of there and went to school and did something else. Like, I've learned through my sponsor that um, I like to sit in my shit, you know? My shit is comfortable for me. 
you know? I like chaos. I seek it out. So in working the program, I've learned to live a life beyond my wildest dreams. I have my kids. I live a life of peace and serenity. They say, you know, some people might think their life is boring. My life is pretty mellow and I love it. My kids have a present mom, a mom that remembers everything. I'm, I'm proud of myself and what I do, how I act. I can lay my head on my pillow at night knowing where I've been, what I did, knowing who I slept with, who I didn't sleep with. I don't wake up with guilt and shame anymore. I used to drink over that shit, hardcore. Guilt and shame. I would just drink to forget and it would never go away. You know, it would just, you just wake up and you just repeat the same insane cycle over and over and over again. You know, what I'm truly grateful for is that the God of my understanding has finally relieved my obsession and that I finally got it because, um, if, if, uh, if he wouldn't have relieved it at the time that he did, um, I would be dead. I really would. I wouldn't be in jail. I would be, I would be dead. Today I have over two years of sobriety. I work in a treatment center in daylight recovery um, in the same place I went to rehab. And today I, I help others, you know, on their path of recovery. And um, I just I just try and um, be a light in everybody's life because I lived in the darkness for a long time and you know today I choose the light and today I choose not to pick up and today I choose to be living in the sunlight of the spirit. And when the darkness does come, I have tools that have been given to me by the program of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. And through that, I'm truly grateful. I appreciate you guys having me come and talk and share my story. And that's it. I'm Katrina. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you. Thank you. That was it for tonight from the Messengers of Recovery, Riverside. Make sure you tune in next week.